and welcome to Writing About Dragons and Shit, a podcast where two authors and a writer get together and talk about the ways that they tell stories. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, your resident writer and podcaster from such shows as Difficulty Class and Champions of Lore, and with me each week are two amazing people who are... I'm Erin M. Evans. I am a fantasy writer and best known for the Brimstone Angel Saga. I'm B.D. Walters. I say words about things, and I am bitter, fat, washed, and nutty. <laughs> Temptation to name this episode that. You no should do context, it. No still I still maintain. I still maintain. We, you should have the real title like, or the or, funny title. That should yep. be every one of these episodes. I will I die on oh, this. That's hill. not a bad. That's not D- a bad idea. Double up but, on the SEO. Yeah. No. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> we're not even going to explain that one. That's just. That's we're just the thing not that happened. Explain. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, I, I did. I, I forgot. I actually didn't uh, talk to you about this before. So we'll do it live on the show. Um, let's do our word counts at the oh. end of the episode. Yeah. Okay. That way we can always just hop right into the topic. And then at the end, we can talk about our, our word counts. That also gets me time to open up Scrivener's writing history and do some math. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Perfect. Um, well, uh, t- today's uh, topic is the business. Yeah. <laughs> The business, uh, yeah. the the area where you still do quite a bit of writing. <laughs> yeah, where where do you all want to start with the business in general? So we were doing the thing that we always do, where these two people are being charming and brilliant, and I'm like, "Stop it! We're not recording yet. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" You know, we're we're leaving we're leaving content on the table. Um, so the the two things this we have a lot of times we get topics that are not quite enough for a whole episode that it's like it's worth talking about but that's not that's not a full thing uh in the two things that we were talking about at least briefly in passing were finding representation you know getting getting an agent a thing like that and also cons in some of that some of the the downsides mm-hmm. of cons and just getting <laughs> ambushed with the wrong expectations at a con mm-hmm. yeah we should pick one of those yeah, we should. You, you know, ladies' choice because I interrupted you when when and I, also I refuse to give any other context about about um, bitter See, fat wash. I and want nutty. to. Yeah. I just want to explain it now because you're like no. Okay. All right. No, but please, <laughs> but, zone of safety. I'm not here to, I'm not here to tell you. What yeah, 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 yeah. I'm drinking yeah. a cocktail. It's a Pacific Negroni. It includes uh, coconut oil, fat washed uh, Campari, which means you mix up. Campari and coconut oil, and you let it sit for a bit, and then you freeze it, and you take all the coconut oil out, so it tastes kind of coconutty. And it also has pandan syrup, which is nutty, and Campari is hella bitter. Yep. And now this is the title of my autobiography. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, you could torture me with that drink. You could actually be like, tell me the location of the nuclear codes (laughs) or threaten to pour it in my mouth, and I'm gonna. I love aperitifs. Yep. That's my jam. But could she get you to admit you uh, to liking the Last Jedi with it? Like that's the real. That's a real test. I mean, is is there a third door? Is there just death? (laughs) Drink. You drink a shot of Campari, and you have to say three nice things about. Or you have to say three nice things about Last Jedi. There you go. Oh, oh, I think I think I would take my chances with the booze because past a certain <laughs> point, my tongue is just gonna go numb. Yeah, oh. I could probably say three nice things about the Last Jedi. It, it, I mean, probably, probably. Maybe. Yeah, the the, the ratios but, but- be all off though. Every one good thing to like seventeen bad ones. You know. <laughs> 
that's that's a different episode though but so, so okay so, Aaron, where are we starting so i think you suggested this topic originally focusing on finding representation mm-hmm. and yeah. i suspect if people are listening to this podcast that is probably the thing they are most curious about yeah the um, hobbyists have already tuned out they they heard us talk about business and like <laughs> no they didn't click on the episode yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. to see how, see what your fat wash nutty and uh, <laughs> see you later schedules you know? This also <laughs> describes the querying process. No, I'm kidding. I mean, let, not entirely, but yeah. Let, yeah not no. entirely. Let, well, let me pose a question to you, Aurel, yes. of, of House Evans. <laughs> uh, to have a, because I, I think you and I might have different opinions on this, to mm-hmm. have a career as a writer, which somebody who, you know, the, 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 the lion's share of their income comes from writing. We'll say 50%. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. How important do you think representation even is? <laughs> it depends. <laughs> there is a model where uh, you write and you publish it yourself through one of the many um, indie options. And you can do very well doing that. I think you are best suited for that if you're somebody who produces a lot of content. Um, if you produce content in a genre that has a big indie modi- audi- indie audience, um, which is also, it was especially true if you're writing things like, um, like, what is it called? Lit RPG, I think mm-hmm. is a, mm-hmm. is a genre that you don't really see in traditional publishing. People who want it go to indie publishers for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, or things that like traditional publishing is, is sort of not acquiring as much of, but there's still an audience for, um, if you can write that stuff and you can write it quickly and you can do the kind of, uh, self-promo and marketing to push it into people's sphere of reference, you can do quite well and never have to have representation. Um, mm-hmm. If you are someone for whom uh, that sort of doesn't sound like it works, uh, having representation really, really helps. If you want to be traditionally published by one of you know the big five publishers or if you want to be published or for, I forget what, what they are now. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to be published and... Um, and have your books uh, sold with distribution to bookstores. Having a an agent is a great way to get your foot in that door. Um, mm-hmm. They're both valid. They are. They both use a lot of the same skills, but then they both also require um, slightly different skills. And I think the best person to know what your path should be is you. So yeah, I. I... Completely agree with that. I think all things being equal, something I heard and I have found to be largely true is that self-publishing is more profitable, but mainstream publishing is more prestigious. Uh, And that's not counting, obviously, when you reach a point where you get multi-million dollar book deals, then it is what it Mm -hmm. is. Um, Jim Zub has written a lot of really helpful stuff about this. Uh, He helped me a lot before anyone had read a word of what I'd written. I read all of Jim Zub's articles on publishing versus self-publishing and what to do to break in. And I listened to his advice and it worked so that when I met him, he's become friends now. But I just had to tell him, I'm like, bro, I'm here because I listened to you. So uh, read Jim Zub's words on this because he kind of knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, the the challenge that you run into. And let me just say something real clear right here. Um, I do not have a writing agent, but I do have a manager. They're not the same thing. There's some overlap. They serve some similar functions. But, you know, to 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 the core of the thesis, I do not have a writing agent. Um, and what you run into is a lot of times when 
you're starting out, your representation may also be starting out because mm-hmm. somebody who's really high on the mountain may not take a chance with you unless they notice just some diamond in the rough because everybody wants the sure thing. Mm-hmm. The more success you have, the easier it is to do the next thing. I've gotten a lot of traction lately with some movies and some projects I'm working on. And lo and behold, mysteriously, everybody wants a meeting now. It's weird. You know, it's like when you stop needing money is when the bank's offering you loans. Um, <laughs> so you might end up in a place where you have this balance of you as a writer don't have any real juice, but your agent doesn't have any real juice either. But that's not terrible because to Aaron's mm-hmm. point, a lot of places won't even read unagented supply, uh, uh, unagented submissions, <laughs> which I think is the real true value of trying to get representation as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. And I think the big thing to remember there, that feels, that feels bad when you're looking at it. You're like, how rude, how could they not <laughs> want to read this? But keep in mind that you are one of thousands Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And there is there, like as it is, most editors read submissions like on the weekend, like yeah. they have a lot to do. And so these these steps are there to sort of hone the field a little bit. Um, yep. And it is again, it's like, what is this publisher looking for? You can write something really brilliant and wonderful. And if it isn't something they think they can sell, they're not going to pick it up. And that's nothing to do. Uh, with you. I will say too, to your point about self-publishing being more profitable, one thing to keep in mind is that it's like per book, you are getting back more of a percentage, but you don't have the same mechanism to get the books in front of people. Um, Mm -hmm. If you write a book and you throw it up on Kindle and it, you know, you sell two copies, you're not alone. Um, But that's not, that's, that's because you have to do the other parts of it, right? You have to do the things that get your book in front of people. Um, Those are tricky. And for some people, they're not. For some people, this is like, I was born for this. (laughs) Those people people are me. I was going to say, if you're, (laughs) if you're a charming extrovert. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) um then yeah like and and totally use those skills and i mean no matter what you do use those skills because because at every step like you are one of many and Mm -hmm. standing out is great um but yeah if you want to get published in a way that puts your book in a bookstore an agent is definitely the way to get in and go um, I have known people who have sold their book to publishers because some publishers will do uh, open submissions um, and then you'll it might take a very long time mm-hmm. to hear back. Um, like Tor is famous for sometimes taking years <laughs> to get back to I've a heard, submission. I've heard stories. Mm-hmm. But I've known a couple of people who sold their book before they got their agent um, and their agent was basically there to come in and negotiate the points of the contract. Um, so that can happen, but it is less common. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely have threaded that needle too of like, hey, check this out. I got somebody that's interested. Will somebody help me? And again, it's weird. Suddenly they'll answer the phone. Right. Bizarre. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to do the, the tricky part of finding somebody, but I have to do the tricky part of the, the contract part. Mm. Um, and one thing, too, like I've I've been in the query trenches. It's uh, it is it is hard and it does ask you to develop skills that um, that are a little different. 
Um, and, and one thing that I think is really important to remember is that you're looking for somebody who's a really good fit for you. Mm-hmm. Um, cause like you, I've known people who've like gotten an agent and been like, great, I'm done. And then that no. person was not <laughs> like, not a good fit. And like, they didn't actually know how to sell that book or they mm-hmm. didn't really feel like they were in it for the long haul. Um, and that sucks. Um, again, you're not alone in that. Um, but, but I feel like when you're going through that process, it often feels like it's just rejection, rejection, rejection. And I'm not saying it's not. But I am saying, too, like there's a certain amount of you don't want somebody who likes your book but doesn't actually know who they could maybe convince to buy it because yep. that's not going to help you. Um, yeah. I don't know. What specifics? Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no you're, 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 you're talking good stuff there. Like uh, you mentioned query letters there. And mm-hmm. I mean, that... I heard about those years and years and years ago and was like, oh, uh, okay, well, I'll I'll get to that bridge when it comes to it. And like just out of pure uh, curiosity, after I finished the most recent book, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to go buy one of those um, agent like who who are the agents this year and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. that they have like author's market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And I bought it and it was like, all right, here's some advice on writing um a query letter and i read through and i went shit my high school teachers were right <laughs> yep damn it uh, spent this whole time thought i thinking i'd be like Haha, i've won none of your rules matter and now they no. fucking matter no. <laughs> also the a, a big challenge with all of this with agents with publishers with all of this it's so freaking subjective that's mm-hmm. where you yep. hear all those stories if i was rejected 10 times and now my book's the biggest book in the world yep. you know yep um so you know just it, it's such it's such a hard line to walk of trying to figure out of when you keep getting those no's to what extent you should adjust and to what extent you just haven't found your fit yet mm-hmm. um and that's something that only you know, and you kind of got to make got you know, a decision you got to make for yourself. I, I would say if you keep hearing a lot of the same thing, you know, like uh, we're passing on this because it is, you know, outdated and misogynistic. You know what I mean? You're like, that's a problem. Maybe listen to that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, yeah. probably 100 percent listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe take those notes. Maybe take yep. those notes. Um and, but, but the other thing yeah. is, is that like not everyone's going to do that. Like yeah. right. I've heard just as many stories where people are like, "We pass, yeah. why?" and never hear yeah, from them. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. I mean, and keeping in mind like how many submissions, how many queries an agent yeah. gets, that you are going to get a lot of form letters. Mm-hmm. You are going to mm-hmm. get a lot of form letters. Um, mm-hmm. If you get personalized feedback, like that is wonderful, and it will yeah. probably be not not ideal. I, I definitely, um, so I signed with my agent on a book that I, I think I queried about 30 other agents with, um, and I had multiple offers at the end of all of this, but, um, but I got things where it's like, I, you know, I really loved the characters. I thought the world building was great. Um, but I just didn't connect with the with the story, right? And and I just didn't connect with the story. You want to dig in and be like, why? But <laughs> there isn't probably a why, and and like they don't have the time to do that mm-hmm. for free, basically to explain mm-hmm. it. And what you should take from that sort of thing is, okay, this person doesn't get what I'm doing 
on the level I need someone to because this, yeah. the person you sign with the person who becomes your agent like you they need to believe in your work a lot because that's how they're going to convince someone else to believe in it which mm-hmm. is how both of you are going to get paid yes. so if they're like well it seems good i i think someone would like this i, I think someone could <laughs> like this um you know, like we were talking about reading and like sometimes you read a thing and you're like, this is real popular, but it's not for me. Think about that book and like trying to convince all your friends to read it. Like you don't want to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So like you don't want somebody who's like, yeah, probably I can make some money off this. Like you want someone who believes in it. Yeah. Um, and so those re- those those passes, those query rejections where it's like a crumb of information are maddening but they come from a place of like utter sense yeah, like yeah. i'm with you like oh my god but also yeah okay i get it so so b dave what what is the the difference between a literary agent and what you have going on so theoretically a difference between an agent and a manager is an agent's job is to get you gigs a manager's job is to help guide your career. Theoretically, those things sound very similar. And there are people that wear both hats, but I find they don't wear both hats well. Um, like, for instance, a manager can help you find an agent because you can have multiple agents. Like, it, it is um, uh, it is not uncommon to have a, a West Coast acting agent and an, and, a, and an East Coast acting agent, you know, or a, a uh, writing agent that deals only with uh publishers in new york you know and then one that is trying to sell your, your works elsewhere generally you only have the one manager though uh that theoretically is helping you wrangle everything and assemble your team they help you find your attorney they help you find you know the right the right bank counsel you know this is also why you know to, to call the spade a spade a lot of times when you hear things about celebrities being robbed blind it was their manager because <laughs> they're the person you know that i mean that yeah. has their finger in every pie so still have to be mindful of that but that's 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 the difference uh when people say representation they usually mean agents they also might mean managers like in 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 hollywood um managers can still submit to stuff like when the trades come out and things like that and there's like um uh uh, non-public uh, auditions and things like casting bulletins are put out like ma- managers have access to that too hmm. um yeah that's that's the main difference okay yeah so you know we, we've talked about like what uh good stuff can come out of it, but what are some pitfalls that people might want to look out for with either of these could i just say one thing Oh, yeah, I, I think to to plus one what Aaron was saying earlier, thinking that you get one and you don't have to do any more like you have to do as much or more than you ever did. Just, <laughs> just your agent can help open some doors, approach it like mm-hmm. that. You know, it, it it is not their job to build your career uh, mm-hmm. because, again, they only get paid when you get paid. But you got to like, you, you know, in this day and age, they're going to want to see your social media following. You know, yeah. the, and, and, and things like that, you know, see what what are you doing to get your name out there and make people give a damn? You know, uh, it is incredibly, incredibly rare, not impossible, but incredibly rare that, you know, just some unknown from Topeka has written the next Star Wars and, <laughs> you know, is immediately going to sell that. You know what I mean? And become, you know, a, a, a gazillionaire household name. It's not likely. Yeah, not I pos- will say I will say for fiction um at least adult fiction uh social media following is like 
<laughs> is a is like icing, right? Um, mm. If you have one, that's great, but don't kill yourself trying to get a huge Twitter following because frequently, because it, honestly, it is an interesting thing we have found, like we, like writers in general, like those don't sell books. You can have like a killer Twitter following and they will love your tweets and they will not buy your books. Yeah. So that is something they push less. If you are a nonfiction writer, your platform is everything. You really mm. have to be able to show like I have the background for this. I am going to be able to to convince people of my expertise because it's here. Um, but just and and obviously that's different for for other other media. But I wanted to just point that out because it it uh I've seen people kill themselves on Twitter for like mm. no reason. <laughs> what what ends yeah. up being no reason because it isn't selling their books. Um there's definitely been authors also, that like don't I've, be I've... an asshole on Twitter because everyone <laughs> will see it and yep. it will oh, bite yeah. you. Yeah. That that shit will come out. <laughs> yep. It's all gonna uh, come out. The there, pitfall defi- so you were gonna ask. sorry, go ahead. Oh well I was gonna say is like there's totally been authors that I've read that I'm like, oh I'm gonna go look them up on Twitter and it's just like they've posted twice yeah. since yep. 2015. It's basically like, I know a lot of authors who are like, my Twitter is for updates. I will tell you when there are things coming out um, mm-hmm. because I'm not good at this. Like I'm not yeah. good at tweeting. So that's okay. Yeah. Like yep. a bad Twitter is worse true. than no Twitter. True. Um, yes. True, 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 true. Like but, if, if you're ex- accidentally letting everyone know that you're garbage, um, then that's probably not optimal. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the good, it's the good for the rest of us because then we're aware <laughs> we can avoid. Yeah, no, but that's true. For, for yep. you, yep. Um, maybe, maybe work on no. not being garbage instead of building your Twitter. <laughs> yep. Random listener. Um, no, number one uh, piece of advice <laughs> take away from this episode: try not to be garbage. Yep. Be a better person. Um, yeah. So pitfalls. Um, I think the biggest one that you'll hear is. For, for for writing in particular is that um, unless you are publishing for yourself, in which case you are going to have to pay for things like cover art and layout, mm-hmm. um, unless you have those skills, um, and the pay money those people yes pay yeah. them the yeah. money flows to the author. You should not be paying your agent to read things or to submit mm-hmm. things. Like that is the first thing. Like if your agent is legitimate, they make money when you make money. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why they have to really believe you have to give them something they believe in. Um, they, uh, and so that's a big piece. Um, another thing that I, I have seen happen is, you know, you have an agent, they, they really like your first book and then they just don't like the next thing or the next thing. Like they, they jumped on this, but then they don't know how to help you with the rest of it. So you want someone who's in it ideally for the long haul. Now it is not a strange thing to change agents through your career Mm -hmm. as your career develops and changes. Um, and what you want is for, if you start going in a direction and your agent can't help you there, they will stop you and say, listen, I'm not the right person for you anymore. Um, and hopefully they know who is what people might be better and they will introduce you to them and, Mm. and pass you along in that way. Give you some, give you some advice. Um, but at the same time, like it is a a thing to watch for if they don't want to talk about your career on the whole, um, like what, what they, what they see for you, where they see you going, where they see they can help you. If they don't even want to talk about that, that's dicey. Um, I got offered rep by someone once who was really adamant that they don't have agency agreements. And so they go book by book. And so he didn't really care what else I was working on. Um, and I was like, I think you just want to get, um, a bite of my tie in contract. So no thanks. Um, that wasn't like, that that wasn't a good fit and 
that guy some stuff's come up so that's good to know um uh so that's that's another thing um i think too like your agent should be once you once you have an agent they should be responsive like you email them they're gonna like say okay here's the answer to your question or i don't know yet but i'll check or say hey i can't get to this right now i'll get to it later like if Mm -hmm. they stop answering your emails that's a huge problem um they are busy people so like a little squish room but you know that's another thing that don't don't be peter parker and uh uh homecoming (laughs) where he's just texting happy for like three months um yeah i think another thing like if you're in the querying phase it is good to look into these people and Mm -hmm. see like what do they want what do they represent um if you're writing hard science fiction and you're querying agents that say i represent um why a fantasy um why a contemporary like this is not the right agent for you yeah there's a certain amount that is true like don't self-reject don't go oh i could never sign with you know big agent x you know even the big agents take new people like it happens don't don't say no um before they usually announce when they when they're like looking yes yeah yeah actually that's a different thing but this is another thing is the thing is just like look at like what they want and what they're looking for and what they represent and what they've had success at um because another thing that's a bit pitfall more for for on your side if someone says like i really want to rep i i want to see fantasy and you look through their what they've represented and it's like all contemporary romance maybe um Mm. and you look at where they're at what agency they're at and they don't have agents at that agency that like my agent has a lot of clients that do contemporary ya but she also uh moved to jabberwocky which is well known to be a very robust science fiction and fantasy agency so she has contacts and what contacts she doesn't have she's cultivated through this move right and so this shows me like no she's serious about this and she can uh she can sell my book um if you are looking at an agent at an agency that has never had any kind of contact with the publishers you want to publish with that makes me wonder if this person is right for you. And that's mm. a question you should ask. Like, yeah. how, who are you going to sell this to? Who do you think you'd sell this to? Um, because if they're not sure, or if they're asking you, if they're saying, who should I send this to? Like, they're not doing their job. Like, you you, you guys have a, a work arrangement. And, and like, it's one thing to be like, do you know anybody that I might be able to go to that you have a personal relationship with? Okay, that's great. But saying like, who should I put on the submission list? Because I don't have one is a different thing, which mm-hmm. I have had. I have been friends with someone where that happened with their first agent, where she just wasn't. She was she was trying to break into a genre she didn't have a lot of experience in, and mm. she didn't know who to send things to. Um, that can be. I mean, that's kind of a problem. So yeah, yeah. It, it, see again, this it, it's all like so like back and forth and nuance i think a lot of it is is about having an understanding with the person because there are people that can come to you and say check this out i'm branching out into a new arena mm-hmm. you know like i'm attempting to build a ya stable and i think you'd be a good fit if you know that that's cool 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. If, if they yeah. come at you first with that, I think that's a different thing than them being like, oh, yeah, no, totally. Then I, not I having think those too, connections. Like, this is where you have the conversation. You talk to them and you say, well, yeah. OK, so I don't see a lot of these kinds of sales. And they say, yes, I've been working on building into that. And I have contacts with these people. Um, like, what do they have that you don't have? Right. Mm-hmm. Like if your agent is just going to go to someone you met at a con and say, hey, remember, Trevor, I have his book. Would you like to buy it? <laughs> Like, they're not necessary in this exchange. Ideally, it's, okay, Trevor, I met this guy at this mixer at this con. He's an editor. He wants a book like your book. I haven't sold to him before, but I talked to him about what he likes, and this really lines up, and I'd like to pitch it to him. Like, that's the kind of answer you want to hear. Because, yeah, if if they're just, like, cold calling strangers, like, (laughs) you could cold call... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know how successful you'd be. Well, but again, (laughs) that the back and forth, technically it's still an agented submission. So there's there's, there's a world where Mm -hmm. that is actually still valuable, you know? I Um, I do think that's also where looking at what other, like, even if you're not being repped by... You know, there's and usually agents will work in an agency. There will be multiple agents there and they can go to their coworkers and get advice or get contacts, um, get introduced to people. So mm-hmm. if they're working somewhere where or they've come up somewhere where they know people who have a better depth of, of connection, they can use that. And that's mm-hmm. a good sign. Um, if it's somebody who just like put a shingle out decided they were an agent like they need to tell you where how how they're going to help you um because because yeah it could just it could just be a scam ultimately (laughs) (laughs) um well b dave so your manager is does your manager like they don't go out and like take your scripts to people and stuff like that they do they do mm-hmm. okay. That was that was giving me my question. I was like, if they don't do that, how, what, what what do you do? <laughs> yeah, no, they do. Um, well, but again, theoretically, a manager doesn't necessarily have to, mm-hmm. uh, but they theoretically should be helping connect you with someone who does. Theoretically, you know, mm-hmm. and this this is the problem. Again, all of this, it is all very wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, I mean, and I guess one thing that we haven't said outright. Um, Keep writing and keep doing your thing. Keep keep oh honing God, your craft. Yes. Oh, you yes. know, just keep, yeah. keep keep putting it out. Um, because I will tell you this now. This is what I will tell you about self publishing because this is a world that I know very well. Um, it actually, if you have a niche, especially if you have a, a niche on um, Amazon or something like that, it actually doesn't take very many sales to appear very very high on a given chart and have a disproportionate impact. Uh, I have a friend of mine, I won't name their name or their projects, I don't want to bust them out, but landed a TV deal off of thousands of sales of, of eBooks. And I nice. mean, I mean, not tens of thousands, thousands of sales. Right. But yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you know, they, they were, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry, go sorry, ahead. Sorry, this is a sidebar. Like sales numbers is like a whole other thing, especially, mm-hmm. Like working on on tie-in, like where you're working in an established property, those sales numbers are are usually quite a lot, yep. um, because they have this established audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you look at what is considered a lot of sales in traditional publishing or in indie publishing, and it's like 
It's just completely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> like, see, that's a good number. That's a pretty good number you for know, ebooks in the indie sphere. Like, that's that's made an impact for well, sure. Especially when when you have to calculate things like if you're getting twenty percent of a big old sale, or if you're getting ninety percent of a smaller sale. You know what I mean? And then right. and then you also have to calculate, or <laughs> if you're writing tie-in, five percent. Right, exactly. Right. And then uh, and also decide what what's your goal what are, what are you trying to do i mean do you mm-hmm. really want to be the next jk rowling do you really want to create the next harry potter i mean statistically speaking it's unlikely but it's never gonna happen unless you try you know yep. so um you know if that's the case you're going to make different decisions than someone who is doing this for passion i'd love it if a couple people read it it'd be great if i made a couple other extra dollars you know what i mean it'd be great if i could pay mm-hmm. the rent with it or whatever but you know mega mega stardom is not even your intent understanding mm-hmm. that you know to to because the the thing that i always point out to people and became and remain very mindful of myself when you walk through barnes and noble or use bookstore those are all people that did it they yeah. did it you know <laughs> i yeah. mean like they did it so it can be done uh how many of those people are still writing how many of those people you know did anything and that that's not even talking about the um how weird uh uh, you know, uh, advances and things can be in contracts. That's actually kind of what I wanted to, to bring up real quick, but yeah. f- finish your thought. Let, let me tell you one thing. So a very major company that I work with that we're all connected to directly or tangentially that I won't say otherwise, uh, I approached because I'd created some things that they technically owned. And I was like, hey, I'd like to do a novel. And they were like, cool, if you get a million and a half dollar three book contract, we'll allow it. We'll approve it. And I'm like, oh, is that all? (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Let me just, you know, call them up right now. So money, money wise, like I, I do think that like a lot of people have different ideas of like what it means when they sign for a book or even for a script um that are not quite how those things work um for both like novels and scripts what does that sort of thing look like um for novels uh if you are publishing traditionally um if you're publishing with a you know a larger publisher you will be offered an advance on royalties which means they will give you a chunk of money um, usually that's broken up, like we'll give you a chunk when you sign the contract, we'll give you a chunk when you turn over the manuscript, we'll give you a chunk when it gets published. Um, sometimes there's a chunk for like, if you're going, if your public's going to come out in hardcover and then paperback, sometimes they'll give you a chunk when the paperback comes out. But anyway, they'll divide it up and your agent will argue about how many chunks there should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when the books sell, uh, you earn a royalty, which means a percentage of every sale is for you. Um, however, the first thing that happens is they calculate that against the advance you've gotten because you got paid ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so once you earn as much as you've already been paid, that is called earning out. And then you will start getting checks that are uh, that royalty rate for, you know, for each book or ebook or audiobook that you sell. Um, and earning out is a big deal. Like that, that means that your book did pretty well. Um, it also importantly means that your publisher gambled right. 
Um, You hear stories about people getting these huge, huge advances and not being able to earn out so that you never Mm -hmm. make royalties. And that is is, it is bad. Um, You know, it can. I mean, I'm not saying it never it never works out in the author's favor, but it isn't it isn't a great place to be um, because it says you were not as big as we thought. We lost money on you, basically. Um, And so then it's harder to get another book. Um, So getting a huge, huge advance, uh, I guess it could be nice if you just want that one and then you want to get out of here uh, (laughs) because you got the money. Uh, They don't take it back. Generally, if you don't turn over the book, they'll take it back. Yeah, Yeah, right. If you do do your part and it just doesn't land, there's generally not other repercussions. Yeah, Yeah. but um, but it means it's going to it means your career is going to be hard to keep going. Um, Mm -hmm. There are ways to do it. There are pseudonyms. There are, you know genre changes but it is kind of a mark against you um so that is one place where having an advance that is smaller can be beneficial um mm-hmm. if you are going with a a smaller publisher you know whether that's because that's what your preference is or because that's where your book landed um they may not give you the advance um they may just give you the royalties um if you are working in an ip they may uh give you what's called a flat fee, which is like, I will pay this much and then whatever sells, it doesn't matter because you just got that. Um, which is my impression is if you are doing like RPG writing, they pay, pay a fat, flat fee. Um, and you don't make anything on the books that sell, mm-hmm. but maybe that's changed. Um, so those are, yeah, those are the sort of advanced structures. If you are self-publishing, um, you are not like, there's no publisher to take yep. money out of that, except, you know, Amazon or, or however is doing the sort of distribution part. Um, so then the, the only thing that sort of fits in there is you're going to have to pay out for covers and layout and copy editing and stuff like that. Um, and then sort of pay yourself back in a way, mm-hmm. but that all just goes back to you. So it's yeah. basically a spreadsheet at that point. <laughs> uh, beat it. What about scripts? Could you restate the question? Because that was captivating. <laughs> How you get paid? I've been listening to Aaron. <laughs> getting yeah, getting paid. paid. Yeah. Uh, there's all kinds of terms, and a lot of times they're really garbage, especially when you're dealing with smaller projects, because usually a script is one to three percent of the budget of the movie, usually. Which means mm. if you're lucky to write a two or three hundred dollar, two or three hundred million dollar movie, you might actually really make like one, two, three million dollars to write it. Um, but if you're also kind of like a shoestring, you know, $50,000 passion project, you won't. Um, <laughs> you know, usually what ends up happening is you get, um, a, ideally, I mean, every deal's different, but ideally, like similar to what Aaron was saying, you get about a third of the money when it you assign the deal to do it. You get about a third of the money when you submit your first draft and you will have contractually agreed upon revisions and they are not infinite. They're usually two or three revisions. Uh, and then you get a third of your movie upon final approval of the script. The worst terms that I fell victim to many times in my early days. And if you learn nothing from me and from my <laughs> tale of woe, never agree to get the la- get the chunk of your money at the start of principal photography. Never, 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 never. Um, A lot of times, if you have productions of all size budgets, one of the things they will negotiate for is a lower rate for more points, which is a percentage on the back end of the film. Now, Mm. again, if you're writing Spider-Man 6, 
that's probably pretty good because it's gonna come out and it's gonna make mm-hmm. a gazillion dollars. If you're, I mean, I there's stuff that I shot three years ago that hasn't seen the light of day. So anyone that gambled on back end for that basically made nothing. Um, mm-hmm. My approach is I negotiate for the maximum amount of back end participation I can get. Giggity. But I treated, <laughs> but I treated like pure bonus, like pure surprise money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like the check fairy just drops off some cash one day. Like what? You know? Like <laughs> I, 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 I calibrate all of my choices towards you know what's the money that I'm going to get up front. Um, mm. Obviously, as the as the scope of the projects that I've been blessed to be a part of, that you know the the percentage participation becomes more attractive. But again, it's, you know, filmmaking is a long, multi-headed and tumultuous process. Um, and so there's a lot of things that can shelve a movie like a worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, but generally that's, that's how it works. Generally. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we said we were going to talk about some cons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I do think mm-hmm. of one other oh, oh. thing. It's a little, it's a little late stage, but like when you're selling okay. a book, um, one thing to look for is what rights are the public is the public yes. asking yeah. for? Yeah, because um, there's a bunch of different things. Um, you can sell world rights, which means yep. that publisher owns all publication opportunities of this book. They are the ones that are going to translate it. They are the ones that are going to put it in, out in the U.S. and the U.K. and and everywhere that it only goes through this publisher. Yep. Um, you can sell World English, which yep. is basically any publication in English goes through this publisher. You can sell North American rights, um, which is just in the U.S. and Canada. And I guess that's usually in, in English. So I guess you can publish yep. it in English in, in Central America, too. But um, I'm yep. not sure that ever comes up. Usually um, like, like, and then, North, like North American English, North American and European. English. You know, it uh, might. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. And then and then, yeah. And then there's translation rights, which are separate. And you can in a novel make a lot of money selling translation rights. Um, it depends on the genre. It depends on. Um, you know, how good your foreign rights agent is. Um, and it depends, you know, um, how much your, uh, I, I say that cause like, for example, like I've done tie in work. Um, and so in that case they have world rights. Um, and so I am beholden to them as to whether that book ever becomes published in another language. Um, and for something like, you know, the Brimstone Angels, uh, novels, um, those get bound up in other properties that Hasbro owns because Hasbro fundamentally owns those. So mm-hmm. they are not available in a lot of languages. And people will frequently ask me, oh, can I translate this into Russian or Turkish? And I'm like, you have to go through yeah. um, the, the Hasbro rights department because I don't own those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of thing is if you are trying to sell your book like ideally you hold on to as many rights as possible that's not even getting into like yep. audiobook audio, audio books yeah, yeah audio books are film, big television yeah. especially yeah. now enough projects oh, they, have you, blown up yeah, yeah. books yep. you should not nobody should be asking you for film rights for your books those are yours like they're <laughs> yeah. not going to do anything with them you don't let those go <laughs> yep but you know be careful um, but people though, will try they, yeah, right? yeah, yeah they'll try and sneak it in on you especially if they think you don't know what you're doing yep mm-hmm. I think yeah. as audiobooks have gotten bigger it is harder to retain audiobook rights um because publishers have that. much more robust audiobook departments um but at least this is what i've heard um and same thing with ebooks. Ebooks used to be something people would hold on to, but now it's like, no, no, no. Publishers have that down. So um, 
Yeah. So all of those things, like all these different ways of kind of putting out your book are are things that the publisher is going to negotiate for and paying attention to what they have um, can be really important. Okay. Yep. Yep. Give up the uh, least that you can for the most money that you can get. That is some good, good general <laughs> that advice. That is good yep. advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the TLDR. <laughs> so, so cons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, I think it goes without saying that everyone who's at least been to a con understands there is good and there is bad to cons, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but what is it from like the business standpoint of it? Like what, what's, what's going on there? So cons can be a great place to make connections. Um, they can be a good place to get, uh, get your work in front of people. Um, it can also cost you a lot <laughs> yes um because generally for fiction uh like if you're going to a con that has a writing track um they're not going to pay you to be there they are going to perhaps give you a badge which is nice um you know sometimes if you if you if you get big enough and you get to be a guest of honor um they'll pay for more but generally they say would you like to come and be on panels um, and if you are planning to go anyway, or if it's local, these are, you know, can be great opportunities, um, both to sort of meet other authors and, and make connections, like do that networking that we talked about. Um, cause just knowing other people in your industry can be really valuable. Um, must, must is for, pivotal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For yeah. like business reasons, but also for just, you know, social reasons. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of people uh, that, you know, you know, this is a weird job and people tend to mystify it a little bit. So knowing people who know uh, what's going on is really great. Um, If you are someone who is good at talking to people, um, who is good at talking about your craft, panels can be an excellent way to connect with readers. Um, If you are uh, not, if you don't like to be up in front of people, don't, don't bother. It's not, it's not for you. And that's okay. Um, I like doing panels a lot, obviously, because Basically, this podcast is a weekly panel, and I enjoy it because <laughs> I don't go to cons right now because of a pandemic. Um, but uh, it it can be a really fun way to, to yeah, to connect with people. You can sometimes do readings. Um, you are probably not going to sell gobs and gobs of books. Uh, but look for con. Like, if you are going to be in, on paneling for a con, um, it's nice to know, you know, if they have, like, um, I did Gen Con's Writer Symposium for a, a long, long time. Um, and they didn't, they don't have it this year, so I didn't go. But uh, they would always have a signing booth and they would provide space for the books um, that authors were signing. And I would usually sell a fair number of books that way. Um, same thing, signings can be good, but probably nobody will come or you'll get a handful of people. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my advice for signings, if you were doing a signing, this might be, I'm like, I don't know who listens to this podcast. So this might be like I mean, your but far they're gonna, future. They're going to remember it. Yeah. But right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. In five years, when you've got your book published and you're going to do a signing and you're sitting next to somebody, you're sitting next to, um, you know, Bob Salvatore or Pat Rothfuss or, um, Terry Brooks or something, right? Get the spot next to them. Get the spot next to them and be friendly and charming with the people in the line. Yep. Because because one, it's more fun than sitting mm-hmm. by yourself at the end. And two, you're going to make a connection with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really, I mean, that's good just in general. Yep. Um, but also, it is a good way to convince people to buy your books. Mm-hmm. Like, show them what a charming person you are. Yep. It I've, can't I've, hurt. It, 
met a lot of drag queens like that at, at drag conventions <laughs> where, you're, where, you're, where you're waiting in line for one of them and you get in it because it's awkward where you're like this long line for this other person that's not them and you're like i mean i i, I guess I'll, I'll, i would like your autograph as well you know what i mean yeah <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, a, a few things. And, and there is um, there is a tactical business aspect of this that I've yet to mention um, that is its own multi-headed thing. And if you truly have questions about this, you can DM me on Twitter. My DMs are open at B. Dave Walters, which is crowdfunding. There is a business mm. model. And I got friends that do really well at this where they crowdfund enough to make the books and then they schlep the books to the cons and sell the books at the cons. And it's basically 100% profit. Yeah. Um, that is a very specific thing that you got to grind and hustle for. And I'm not that dude. That is not mm-hmm. my business model. That is not my ambition to, you know, to to drag what? these things out oh, to the I table and set it up. I can't remember the the guy's name that was like one of the first people to do that in fantasy. Michael something. Um, he, yeah, I remember he did like a Kickstarter for like his fantasy world because he got tired of doing it the main publishing way. It made like bunch of freaking money and then of course i had every person asking me so are you going to kickstart a book i'm like that's not how this works he had fans yeah no one knows who i am i will tell you that (laughs) this is a common misconception with crowdfunding that people think if i build it they will come they will not crowdfunding Mm -hmm. is where you go to monetize an existing fan base to activate them for the thing that they know you do you Mm -hmm. know like, I mean, I have, a, I think I, I've kind of have a diverse portfolio, so I got a little bit of a crossover, but I mean, if I start crowdfunding for a vacuum, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you know, there, 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 there's no reason to believe that's going to be a thing. Oh, I just wow. see this person looking at their phone. Yeah, you yeah. can DM, but what does he know about vacuums? Because they're like, they're like, yeah, but he knows how to suck. Oh, <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be it. It'll be sucks to suck, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That, yeah, actually, I think you got a great vacuum. It's called I the mean... sucks to suck, but it only picks up salt. And I expressly target people that have bought those oh salt guns to kill flies. Yes. That's it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Uh, we can't post this one now. It's a million dollar idea. There it is. <laughs> Undone. But you give give us points. Whoever beats us to market with that. Yeah. Points. Yeah. Exactly. I have um, like two pitfalls that I thought of. If you're going to a con as a pro, like if mm-hmm. you're going as a writer, um, one is when you're sitting on a panel, there is a tendency to want to really like explain why you're there like people will sometimes want to list like everything they've ever written um they will build a little fort out of their books they will have like a you know bookmarks and they'll have like a banner Mm -hmm. and um that's a lot uh to me that's that's a little too much Mm -hmm. um and and so like think about you know you, if you're on a panel, be respectful of everybody's space and time. Mm-hmm. If you're taking five minutes to to explain your CV, you're taking from the audience and yep. you're taking from the other panelists. Um, like get away, like figure out a way to like have a soundbite that's that's yeah. grabby on its own. Um, um, and then the sort of the flip side of that is I I have seen people and th- I thought of this in the sit next to Terry Brooks <laughs> advice. <laughs> 
um, who is I have done that, and he is a wonderfully lovely man. He was oh, very kind good. and funny, and I enjoyed sitting next to him. Um, and he, uh, I gave him. He asked for a copy of my book, and I gave it to him, and I loved that. Oh. But um, so the the thing is, like, especially when you're starting out, and you go there, like, don't be. There's a level of self-effacing that's too much. Like, yep. don't like knock yourself and expect someone to pick you back up. Mm. Be happy. You yeah. are in a cool place doing a cool thing. Like, embrace the joy because the more excited you are about what you've brought and about where you are and what you're doing, the more people will feel happy and excited to engage with you and to see what you've done. Um, you know, if you do things like well, you know, I'm sitting next to Pat Rothfuss, who's famous, and I'm just dog shit. Like, nobody <laughs> no, likes that. Don't like, no, nobody like, likes that. Keep it to yourself, Eeyore. Yeah. Right? And you might be feeling that. You might feel yeah. like the depths of imposter syndrome, like, oh, shit, what am I doing here? But, like really stop because you got there and you're doing this and you're, you know, you're you're sharing something that you you love, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't love your book, why are you there? You need to love it. Um, and so tell that doubt to shut up. Put on your your extrovert face <laughs> if you've got one. I have one of those. Well, it's so <laughs> handy for cons, but it's exhausting. Oh, well, I will God. tell you this. Obviously, it's, it, you know, it sucks when when you come. When you set up your table and no one cares or, you know, you, you only get like a, a handful of people. But the thing that I always remind myself is those are your evangelists, though. Like mm-hmm. that person still took the time to see you. And whether that I... happened one time or 10,000 times, they get the same. Hi, how are you? Would you like a picture? Would you like an autograph? Shake hands. If you don't have a long line, that's an opportunity to interact with them a little bit more. Yep. Because, again, yep. that's how you get evangelists. That how you yeah. get somebody that will go out and go tell their friends to read your stuff and post on Twitter what a great experience they had. And, and I don't mean that just in a predatory way. I mean, in you hopefully you're doing this to bring joy. Yeah. Hopefully you're doing this to take somebody on an adventure that they are going to appreciate. And when they take the time to get to tell you that, that is a win. As I tell you all the time, man, if you've made a dollar writing, you're a professional writer now. You've done it. It's now it's just a question of scale. You know, like yeah. if, if you've booked a gig ever, you have done it. <laughs> now, scaling up, scaling up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If three people come to your signing, that's three yep. random people who yep. said, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I want to do this in this con full of delights. Like that is exciting. Yep. Um, and if, you know, people aren't coming, you get a stack of books next to you and you holler at people. I'll get them to come over and take a book. Okay, I was actually going to ask, can I do that? Because when I was in Boy Scouts okay. as a kid, I was really good at selling sodas at the the New Year's fair. I I got really good at yelling people that they wanted okay. a sprite. Yeah, man. So you, here's you, you my car- you can carnival yeah. bark a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I will do it. You're charming. So I I have only done that when I've had books that I've been given to give away. Mm. Um, yeah. Sometimes when I did Gen Con, uh, Wizards of the Coast would give me a stack of books and they'd be like, these are these are to give away. And so I would park myself, you know, at the signing table or um, I guess the other time it was a signing table, but it was Ed Greenwood's signing table. And then mm. I would just I would basically just holler at people to come see Ed Greenwood and take my book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes they would be like, I don't want it, crazy lady. But <laughs> yeah. their loss. Uh 
So, 100%. you know, and that's the thing is that is that it's it's sometimes it's hard to get people to come buy stuff because everybody at a con, there's a lot of people trying to get you to buy stuff and not all that stuff is good. But nope. people giving you stuff is fun. It's always fun. People Swag's take fun. that, right? Yep. Um, and so if you have that ability, if you if you have something that you can can give people, absolutely. Um, and if you have something you can sell people and you can do it charmingly, absolutely. You the goal is to sort of rise to the rise to the surface where people see you. You know, <laughs> here yeah. is my point again um, that uh, I, I have to say. Uh, remember to Google a thousand loyal fans. I won't go into it, but you don't need that many people to build a, a career and a in a in a life off of. You really don't. Thousand yeah. loyal fans. I know. I mean, I appreciate. We super were like, we can't talk about this for an hour, and now we're almost <laughs> over. Yeah, there was yep. a question, right? There was there was yes a, there was a question. question. Yes, there a was question, a question and a word count. Okay. Question and a word count. Oh, that's right. Um, dang, I'm almost, I'm almost tempted to hold hold on to this question. No, then. Just tell uh, me the question. Okay, nope, okay you have to okay. do it now. Uh, so this question comes from Cameron. Thank you for writing in. Hi, Cameron. Uh, uh, question. Uh, what do you guys think about storytelling methods that are not necessarily centered around conflict? Like the film Castaway. I enjoyed the film because I've, uh, often wondered what I would do, uh, if I got, uh, if I, or what I would do. And I got to watch Tom Hanks acting out my daydream, uh, whether or not he got off the Island was, uh, to me, a side, uh, attraction. Another example would be, uh, Peppa Pig. Yes, I know. That's what he says. Um, where, Peppa Pig's uh, one of the best shows ever made. Peppa Pig and Bluey are two of the best shows ever made. But yes, please continue the commercial. I sold a lot of those books when I worked at, worked at Barnes and Noble and I hadn't read a damn one of them. Uh, where the hook is uh, what is... Uh where the hook is what silly thing Daddy Pig will do and how it will call back to what he said earlier. So essentially doing stories where like conflict isn't necessarily the thing. Though I would say Castaway, his conflict is he's stuck on an island. It's man versus nature. No, Castaway is absolutely a conflict. It's man versus nature. It's a fundamental story. Um, Both drama and comedy and horror and romance all require conflict. So if you kind of and action. So if you're going to write in a genre that isn't those, now Pat Rothfuss and I have talked about the concept of conflictless stories, um, but I would submit for you there that one conflict knows many has many faces. I don't know why anyone is going to sit down and read the story of a person that gets up and goes to work and has a normal day at work and comes home and eats dinner and goes to bed. Like somewhere along the way, there has to be friction. Um, mm-hmm. Do they not like that job? Did they are they are they a wonderful surgeon that only became a surgeon because their parents wanted them to be a doctor? You know, mm-hmm. like maybe they don't have to crack open someone's heart and do this like pulse pounding, you know, ER sequence. But mm-hmm. your conflict is the fact that they're at odds with their life or their perception of it. Yeah. Or yeah. you know, uh, you know the the whole you know man versus man, man versus environment. You know, yeah. <laughs> man versus culture. And just for the record, I hate man versus environment stories. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? Tom Tommy Lee Jones's volcano didn't do it for you? I mean, first of all, how dare you, sir? How dare you? There's some, there's some, you have exceeded the, 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 the bounds of gentlemanness to call it to the, the high holy Tommy Lee Jones. No, I love Castaway, but stuff like, um, What's the freaking Mark Wahlberg movie where they're on the fishing boat and they're out in the storm? You know what I'm talking oh, about. You know I'm talking perfect about. storm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was a perfect. I mean, not interested. Yeah. Not interested. The movie hmm. Idris Elba 
in Kate Winslet. Plane crash. They're stuck on a mountain. Can oh, these yeah. two strangers get off the mountain? I'm like, miss me with that. No thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now what? What about I the Martian? Have a soft spot for that. Honestly, haven't seen it. Oh. oh wow okay yeah no you yeah. yeah they 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 miss you well i don't know well. if um, you like it so yeah yeah <laughs> I, yeah because i think that's the compelling part because i think that is a big thing is like conflict doesn't always just mean two people who are in uh, who are at odds right I, it's yeah, something I, I do is have to not wonder if that's the the way that cameron is wording this is in mm-hmm. like conflict as in like there's a villain yeah like yeah, there is and you there's an antagonist that basically they're that and and I mean there are other storytelling traditions, but in particularly if you're going to um, write a story that's meant for a Western audience, the expectation is there will be conflict to overcome. There will yeah. be something that is in the way of the main character uh, achieving what they want, um, and and that can be a lot of different things. Um, yeah, it can be you know like the environment, or it can be something like you know sometimes when we talk about character arcs, there's a change arc, which is so the the problem is me i need to mm-hmm. um learn something and change the way i approach this and they then are there their can own be, conflict mm-hmm. right there can also be a <laughs> steadfast self- arc mm-hmm. which is like the character is being told to change and they refuse and because mm-hmm. they refuse they can achieve what they need to achieve um so the things like that that don't necessarily feel like a like a pure conflict um they are still like like b dave said it's friction yep. and that friction is sort of necessary to that to the to our expectations of story but it doesn't always have to come about because you know man versus man i guess but i, I yeah I, I would submit two things and i'm going to talk about peppa pig by the way um <laughs> the, the, george, for it. The, the george Please. clooney movie uh solaris uh, you've, you've seen solaris Mm-mm. I have not. I keep wanting to, and I don't. It I don't was a remake of like a seventy Swedish film, and it and it's huh. pretty. It's I mean, some some objectively trippy sci fi stuff happens, but it is more environmental tension mm-hmm. than you know a monsters yeah. in the airlock type thing. So well, I, 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 think, I mean, like that's also gravity. Yeah, yeah. like the, the like the, the guess, whole. Guess who had seen gravity? Yeah, I am. Uh, that actually checks out. I also have not actually watched yeah. all the way through. Yeah, yeah, it didn't do it for me. But uh, 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 but no, that like that's an example of yeah. like where it's like yeah, there's not a villain. Yeah, but yeah. there is conflict going yep. on there. Yep. There's, um. There's and, and oh god. No, I am interrupting you. I apologize. I I do depending on what the conflict is like. Yeah, I, I don't particularly go for the 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 man versus nature thing. Um, but there's certain instances that I totally do and it totally works for me. Um, yeah, but there's oh, good. No, no, I keep interrupting you, man. I'm sorry. No, I don't. I don't mind. It's a, podcast, it's a conversational podcast. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I'll, I'll talk about this. one. This, this will actually come up uh, later uh, for, for reasons. Um, one of my favorite types of uh non-villain conflict uh in stories is time loop groundhog day yeah mm-hmm. i absolutely i loved groundhog day since the first time i saw it because it's just bill murray just stuck in a town he hates for for centuries and i just that just filled my soul as a child uh, <laughs> <laughs> and like there there's no one in that movie who is the villain except for bill murray uh, <laughs> yeah and the like the conflict is he is stuck there cannot leave and then the lesson is he has to change and so I, I like at no point in that was there just like yes haha Bill Murray because I can't remember your character's name right now and I'm twirling my mustache yeah uh, I, I will get you um 
but there, there's plenty of ways to do ones that don't involve fighting or anything. I, it, it, you can have conflict without antagonism very much. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, for Peppa Pig, which again is an objectively brilliant show, whether or not you got kids, I cannot recommend Peppa Pig and Bluey nearly. If you got if you got <laughs> Disney Plus, you can watch Bluey. Peppa Pig, you gotta like go on Nick NickJr.com or stuff. You might have to like fight work a little harder for Peppa Pig. <laughs> um, I mean, well, one Peppa Pig is obviously a children's show, mm-hmm. and so the the infra, the the, the conflict is incredibly light but it does exist like when peppa mm-hmm. can't whistle peppa's friends can whistle she can't she's upset about this Big she mood. has to come around <laughs> one of the all-time funniest movement moments in television history is in the episode of peppa pig where she cannot whistle and i will not spoil it for you but <laughs> find it if you can i mean had to pause the tv because i was laughing so hard at this scene those of you that know peppa you know exactly what i'm talking about i'm gonna um, google this for yeah, later yeah, but, i gotta see it um, <laughs> but uh yeah it's stuff like that you know what i mean where uh, i mean a lot of times again the stakes are low but it's mm-hmm. usually someone's being silly yeah. or inconsiderate you know realizes they're being silly or inconsiderate alters their behavior and everybody has a good time it is more mm-hmm. about the lesson the conflict only exists to facilitate the lesson you know mm-hmm. yeah so yeah but it does exist i still would not i would not call peppa pig a you know absolutely frictionless show you know mm-hmm. like i mean the talent show episode where everything that peppa wanted to do for her talent one of the other kids did you know and the she's conflict. like stressed about the fact that she doesn't know what talent she's gonna do because she's like i'm gonna dance Susie sheep dances you know um she's like i'm going to uh i'm gonna I say hate how I'm, relatable yeah, this is yeah. to me as uh, that actually <laughs> happened to me as a child Aww. i'm telling you it's a great show <laughs> yeah so yeah that but the, it, it, again it is not conflictless but it is free from antagonism there is mm-hmm. no bully there is no mean kid yeah you know nobody is ever acting from a place of hostility as yeah. the root of the conflict but the friction exists yeah I just realized one of my favorite movies feels the same kind of place. The Which one? Does Booksmart. I love Booksmart. I still haven't seen that damn movie. Oh my god, Trevor, I really it's so want good. to. But yeah, uh, I need it to watch is more a sort of it, it it is there's like a goal, there's a thing in their way, but the real thing in their way is their own inability to examine their weaknesses. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, Karen, I hope that uh, answered your question. If it didn't, write us back. Tell us, tell, you didn't answer the damn thing that I said. Um, you don't understand anything at all. But I do love uh, B-Day's love for Peppa Pig now. So, <laughs> Such a great show. And, 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 and I will say, for my, my, my youngest child for school, who, let me tell you something, let me tell you a secret. If you got kids, hook kids on stuff that you like and your life will be easy. Because if they're listening to Barney on a loop and that's not your jam, you're in for a lot of torment. So... Uh, we would watch Peppa Pig growing up, which, like, I mean, I still like Peppa Pig now. Um, and my young, and I got friends that don't have kids that watch that show. Uh, <laughs> my, so she's ten, and she got her back to school stuff, and she got a T-shirt, and on her shirt is that funny scene I'm talking about. And she comes out, she's like, "Daddy, look!" And I'm like, I cracked up all over it. <laughs> and I'm like. 
beautiful. I was so well played, excited. Child. I yeah. was so excited it's, it's, to watch a, this episode. It's a kid show. <laughs> it's, it's, it's if you had given thing. me ten grand on the table and said, "How do you think this episode about business is going to end?" It would not be us raving about. You know, it's uh, I'm pleased to both uh, amaze and astound. Yeah, yeah. Peppa Pig and Bluey. Bluey. Let me just say in passing. Bluey is a show that they're still making right now. It is out of Australia. Bluey is one of the most amazingly insightful ways to impart complex ideas to children. Mm. Bluey, the, y- y- you especially with, with um, uh, Champions of Psychology, Trevor, mm. should be able to appreciate the way okay. they layer it in. Where it's like you're, they're imparting like real important life lessons. Okay. purely through and it's not preachy it's not heavy-handed it is just adorable and and like they're australian and these little kids and their dogs and they got two little girls that do the voice little australian girls that are talking it's just you're, it, it'll make your heart melt and then you're like oh but you actually really truly conveyed something of of, of worth wow yeah okay, okay. Disney I'll, Plus. I'll, I'll, I'll give that a look mm-hmm. give it a look also the uh, episodes are literally like five minutes long like oh, i perfect. mean it, it's it's a short short yeah. So, word count. How did we all do? I did much better. Hey! I think I, hit, I think I said last time I was going to aim for three thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have like forty eight hundred, and I also deleted a bunch. Nice. But, and the better part, all that aside, is that I finally figured out the right way to start this book, which has been hey! like Hell killing yeah. me. I've been writing stuff and going, "This is shit." Delete it. Start over. The, this is the, shit. The, the what George, is happening? The George R. R. Martin quandary. At least you didn't make it 600 pages. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, the perils of sequels, y'all. 5,123, mm. barely. Very nice. It's like well slide. Done. Slide. <laughs> slide. Well, I, uh, I told you Groundhog's Day would come back, and that's because uh, this game called Deathloop came out, and I am fucking obsessed with it. And, uh, I, I, I hit halfway. I hit halfway to my goal. I did 1,500. Uh, and uh, and that's because, like, it, I, the main part of the week, I was, uh, uh, Aaron and I met up uh, recently to talk about uh, my first draft that she read. And she gave me a bunch of, like, ideas and critiques and stuff like that. And I've been just thinking about it. And so I finally got sit down and write, start writing an outline of fixing it. Good. And so I did 1,500 words of that. And nice. 1,500, 1,500, brother. Yep. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, the, that that thing that I've said on the show so many times happened where I'm now completely hyper fixated on fucking time loops. <laughs> I started watching <laughs> Russian Doll. I, I bought a mystery that novel that has a time loop. I'm just I'm just all in it right now. Oh, have you read have seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle? That's the one. <laughs> I have feeling. I love that book, but I also have feelings about it. Have you watched Primer yet? No, the movie primer again, movie made for a thousand bucks. Looks like it was made for a thousand bucks. <laughs> the first half hour or so, you're going to be like, Why did Dave recommend this movie? <laughs> I want to cast my eyes out because they they take they they slow boat building the time machine, but once they build the oh, time machine, I, I remember seeing the uh, the the trailer yeah. for this, yeah. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Once they build the time machine, though. It is one of the most interesting and intricate time travel movies you will ever see. Because I told oh, you, I'm again, watch that this weekend. The, 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 the whole premise of it 
is they're like, we will go one day, we will go 12 hours ahead in the future to see the stock market. We will come mm. back and we will invest. That's the whole thing. But they go through this checklist of stuff they can't do so they don't mess up time. And then, of course, someone makes a mistake. Like, oh, oh shit, I left my key, of course. You know? Yeah. And then yeah. it's like, okay, we got to go back to where we know we were, hide from us, get in and get the keys. And then things keep falling apart. Where it's like, oh, we oh, got to go back again. But now we're there and we're breaking in. So we need to be over here to miss both of us while we go do this other thing. And it you know, just... Bad, snowballs out of control and it is I think glorious. there was a red versus blue episode about that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh There's been God, a red versus blue episode of everything now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> probably. All right. Uh, so uh, where, where are we sitting for this week for our, our word counts? I, I think I'm going to stick to 3000 again and, and be better about not playing death loop at six in the morning and actually writing. <laughs> it, it, I, I I hate to take my foot off the gas, but it was such mm. a mad chaotic scramble to hit the five. I'm a back down to thirty five hundred. I'm gonna I'm going oh, to yeah. allow myself to stay in 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 fifth gear for a little bit this week <laughs> at thirty five hundred. Um, man, I kind of want to shoot for five now that I figured mm. this thing out. Oh yeah, you can do it. But part of I me believe is like, in you. My grandmother is visiting soon, but I watch compromise. Once you hit forty, once you say forty five hundred, once you say forty five hundred is good. Let's do that. Forty five hundred. There we go. Boom. And I I will try to meet or exceed. And uh, and remember, listeners, let us know uh, how your word counts. I'm, I'm yep. gonna try and put out a tweet on our on our uh, Twitter account asking how people are doing. So yeah, man, Google drop them is in a good goal if you meet. Yes. Progress, yes, progress is progress. If you if you get five hundred words. It's over a long enough timeline. It will be done. The only way it won't mm-hmm. get finished is if you do nothing. I literally wrote a book just doing 500 words just yep. here and there. So, yeah, yep. you can do it. Yep. All right. Well, yep. I uh, I think that's a good place to end this week's episode. Friends, where can people find you? And what awesome things are you working on? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron M. Evans. You can catch me Wednesday mornings on twitch.tv slash CNE games at 11 a.m. Pacific with, uh, for Champions of Lore with these guys where we talk about the lore behind Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. Which just got renewed. Then later on, you can catch me on twitch.tv slash Dungeon Scrawlers at 630 Pacific uh, where I play D&D with a bunch of other fantasy writers. And soon... I assume it will already be happening once this starts, but I, you know what? I just realized I still don't have a name for this. Uh, I'm going to start doing a like co-writing stream on Mondays where you can come and work quietly while I work quietly. And then we'll take little breaks and, and, and chat a little bit about writing. Yes. I love that. I don't have a, I don't have a name for it. Oh, nutty. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> just see that on Twitch. Just see that on well, I gotta click it. Like. <laughs> you, you launch like, bitter fat, washed and nutty, and I'll launch sucks to suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Part of me is like, God, sucks God. to suck is a good. Well, maybe not. <laughs> like, stop sucking. <laughs> so we'll find out. Uh, or is, is that is all the the stuff you you got there? That's all I got that I can talk about. So, mm. be Dave. Uh, I just I, I just try and spend the maximum amount of time possible with these beautiful people. Um, 
I think this is why our Kickstarter for sucks to suck. The best, the best, the best <laughs> sucks Sorry. to suck. The world's greatest salt-only vacuum. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, I guess by now the D and D live or the D and D celebration game uh, will have been a couple of weeks ago. So check that mm-hmm. out. The Dungeon and the Dragon. It's really great. Please watch it. It is really great. I'm so. I, I I'm at the point of time where I have not seen it, listeners, and I'm very I'm excited. Yeah, it, it's. <laughs> We re- we really did something special with this one. I, at least I think so. You know, um, uh, it, it, it's they don't fight the environment. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, Heroes of the Plains Tuesday, Black Dice Society Thursday, Vampire the Masquerade Friday. Uh, some other of uh, the Champions of Lore Wednesdays. Uh, some some other dope stuff. TBD. So just uh, but again, keep right, keep hitting your word count. Hell yeah. You can do it. Uh, you can find me on way too many podcasts, which you can find on my Twitter account at the Trevor. There's an A hiding in there. Uh, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed any part of this show and hopefully the whole thing, uh, you, you, the best way to support the show is by leaving a review on your podcast service of choice. Even if it's not your podcast service of choice, your podcast service of choice doesn't got reviews. Go to one that's got reviews. Put those little five stars in there. It really it helps out. It'd be cool. Be, you know, do you do you? Uh, if you have any questions like Cameron did or topic suggestions, you can send them into writing about dragons and shit at gmail.com. And if you'd like to keep up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at About Dragons. But until next week, go write about some dragons and shit.